Welcome to the Forerunner Church Podcast, where we highlight key messages and themes related to the body of Christ, inviting you to connect with our spiritual family as we grow in passion for Jesus and compassion for people. For more information, visit forerunnerchurch.com. Jeremy. All right, good morning. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. And you can refer to the teaching handout as well if you grab one of those on the way in. Taking uh, just four weeks here, Stuart Greaves and I, in the month of October, to do an overview of the, the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. And um, I'm just becoming more and more convinced that understanding the gospel as believers um, in all spheres and all walks of life, regardless of our assignment in the present season, it's probably one of the most important things that we can have. I mean, the gospel is the way in which the kingdom of heaven moves forward. It's the way in which the body of Christ is stabilized in tumultuous times. It's the way in which the body of Christ is plumb-lined in times of peace and prosperity. And there's not another message that is necessary um, to further God's purposes in our generation. And so we're looking at this, we're gonna be, this is the second week, and today we're gonna look at the gospel of the kingdom, part two, and the good news of God's justice. I'm gonna read this verse, a couple verses here out of Matthew 24, beginning in verse 12 to 14. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Father, we come before you as a spiritual family, and like we've prayed so many times over the years, we ask, Lord, that your word would run swiftly and be glorified. I'm asking, Lord, for this generation, Lord, in this hour of history, Cross the body of Christ in our city, Father, that you would glorify your word, that it would run, Lord, with speed, and there would be a haste, Lord, and a sense of urgency that would rest upon the heart of your people to see Christ glorified and magnified in this hour. You would cause your people to grow and mature in love and understanding. Father, be with us in Jesus' name, amen. Look here at the introduction, the good news of God's justice. We know that the gospel means good news. It's a proclamation of good news. And there's many reasons that it is good news. One of the primary reasons or main reasons that it's emphasized is that there's good news that Christ has done something to us that restores our relationship with the Father and brings us into right standing with God. But the gospel is not to be limited, particularly the gospel of the kingdom, is not to be limited to forgiveness of our sins and a right relationship with God. That is very important and essential, but it is fundamental and it is the beginning of the unfolding purposes of God from eternity past all the way into the millennial kingdom, yea, all the way into eternity in the future, there is an unfolding plan of God and that plan is inherently good. And that plan is part of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom. Central to the good news is God's justice. And the reason why is because God's justice is when the Lord comes and makes wrong things right. He sets them into place. We experience God's justice in many uh, ways as believers. We experience it personally when God comes and brings our uh, justice, what's called our justification before heaven, where we are justified before the Father and we're made completely innocent in the eyes of God in accordance with his holy law. Uh, there's God's justice that comes to society where he orders society 
in accordance with his desire, in accordance with his righteousness and his laws, his ways, his character. When God's character and his righteousness comes to bear on society, we see God's justice, social justice, actually furthered in the earth. That's good news when that happens. We see God's justice when he will come and shatter the kingdoms of darkness. And he is going to promote his own kingdom of righteousness and humility and joy for all of eternity. And he is gonna change the created order. The entire cosmos will come under his leadership and his law. And what's striking about that to me, every time I consider that, is that the uncreated Holy God has chosen to live within the confines of his own creation. And it's as if the whole galaxies, the, the entire universe, will become the holy of holies for Yahweh, the presence and the glory of God to live forever and ever. And it's his justice that will establish and order all of the created realm to come into agreement with him so that he can live and dwell there forever and ever and ever with his creation. I mean, it is remarkable. The gospel is the essential message that is needed for the body of Christ, the, bo uh, the gospel of the kingdom, what we're gonna talk about here, just a, a snapshot of it. Um, I think that we live in an age where people are constantly trying to innovate and come up with the newest best thing and it becomes very easy, not just within the culture, but within church culture, to just kind of pursue the next most interesting wave, trend, message, group here. Okay, there's a move of God, so we gotta rush over here. All right, somebody had an angelic visitation, so we gotta go hear about it. We gotta rush over there. And it all becomes about this sense of urgent uh, encounter, messages, divine insight, what's happening next, what's coming around. The it's almost like we're trying to predict, uh, play this predictive Christianity and we're just jumping on the bandwagon of the next move, the next trend or whatever. And I want to tell you that the greatest movement in the earth right now is called the church. It's called the body of Christ. And there are various emphasis that the Lord raises up. We've got prayer movement, missions movement, and worship, and the Lord emphasizes these different things. But ultimately, at the end of the day, Jesus is returning for his bride. And he's a king that is going to and is establishing a kingdom on the earth. And the body of Christ is the bride, the queen, to rule that domain with him forever. And the Lord is very interested in this plan. <laughs> And we may not be interested in this plan because we don't like lots of things about the church and the body of Christ and how the Lord's doing it, particularly how slow things move. That's one thing that we really have a hard time with. Uh, the Lord will wait decades and decades and decades to fulfill his promises and to release the anointing or the outpouring or the revival or whatever. And he goes, don't worry about the timing. He said, I want you to stay faithful to me. I want you to live the gospel. I want you to believe it. I want you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to serve him, obey his words and his commandments. The Bible teaches us how to do family how to do business, how to do relationships, how to do conflict, how to relate to our enemies. And so don't get lost in the pandemonium of the culture that just seems to be escalating with the newest invention and trend thing that's popping up in our newsfeed. Go back to the word of God, go back to the, the scripture and say, Lord, I wanna meet you here I wanna obey your words. I wanna do the Sermon on the Mount. I wanna be faithful in your eyes, faithful to do the word of God. And so I am just making an appeal to us that we would 
return, whatever that means, to the message of the gospel of kingdom and what Christ has already set in order. We're joining his plan. We don't have to come up with a new plan or a new movement or a new strategy. We're all, Christ is already at work. He has been for generations. We're joining him and what he's doing in the earth and what he's doing in our own city. Uh, the apostles found it necessary to contend for the gospel to remain central in the heart and mind of believers in their day. Look at what they say in Jude 1, verse 3. I found it necessary to write you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. You have to contend for it. You have to be diligent about it. You can't just go two, three, four, five years without considering the implications of the gospel of the kingdom and seeking to obey God and just running from place to place and exciting teaching and this YouTube series and this and that. We have to contend for what God delivered to us through the mouth of the prophets and the apostles and seek that these truths would be supreme in our own lives. He says, I want you to contend earnestly for this because it was once for all delivered to the saints. We know from this previous verse that I read a moment ago, Matthew 24, 14, that the gospel of the kingdom is gonna be preached in all the world and then the end will come. And it's a timing indicator. It's speaking of the Lord raising up a great witness of mobilized saints. They're not all just missionaries going to the foreign mission field. They're believers in their jobs where they're at. They're in their cities. They're in their neighborhoods. They're in their regions. Many of them will ultimately become missionaries and go to unreached places and unreached people groups, but they're preaching the gospel of the kingdom and they're doing it with a sense of urgency. And they're doing it under a spirit of understanding and with clarity. And their words are energized with the power of the Holy Spirit like we've never seen before. It will be like the book of Acts, but not just located to, you know, Jerusalem, Israel, and Turkey. It's going to be far more reaching than that. And it is going to be wildly disruptive. Because the gospel of the kingdom is more than Jesus loves you, do you want to go to heaven? The gospel of the kingdom implies that there is a king that is returning for a prepared bride, and that king is going to remove every enemy of his kingdom and his bride in one generation. He is gonna subjugate the world in accordance with his holy law, and he's gonna lead the earth in accordance with the gospel, not in accordance with the laws and the ways of men. When he shows up, he's not looking for humanity to weigh in on his policies. He's not gonna hold an election. He's not gonna have us vote on certain legislative pieces that he's going to pass. This is his law and these are his ways and this is the way he's gonna rule the entire earth. And so you're either in agreement with him as he releases his, the administration of his government or you're in opposition to him. And I am believing that more and more the Lord is gonna to begin to confront in the body of Christ the ways in which we've reduced the gospel of the kingdom to a feel-good therapy of our souls. I, I need to get guilt and shame off my life, which we do need that. We need guilt and shame off of our life. But the gospel is far more than getting guilt and shame off of our lives. It is about the transition of the human race back into Eden as qualified by God. I mean, this is, the Lord is going to do something so dramatic, so intense, that uh, I, I just don't know that I'm even understanding the full implications of what happens when the gospel of, of the kingdom collides upon the planet. The early church leaders, paragraph B, they labored tirelessly for a gospel message that would take root in the heart of the church. The, the message, the gospel was the message that produced something in them. And Paul says here in Galatians 4.19, he says, 
I'm laboring that Christ would be formed inside of you. That's what I want. What do you want when it comes to your own life in God? And I fear that many, and I'm not being specific, but many are content enough for the gospel and for their church life to meet their social needs, their community needs, kind of make us feel less lonely, um, get guilt and shame off of us. But Paul the apostle here, he's going, I'm preaching the gospel of the kingdom to you because I'm after Christ and his character and his way. His law being formed in your heart. That means that things that are in you need to go. And that things that are of heaven and that are of the age to come need to be imparted deeply and profoundly to you. That the bride would take on the very character and the nature of Christ in terms of his attributes of humility and love and service and that she would be formed into what it is that he's after. And so this has to be kept in front of us in an intentional way. We can't just ignore this and just wake up one day and all of a sudden this is just happening and like Christ has just been formed in my heart. No, it takes intentionality. It takes understanding. It takes consistency. It takes a spirit of perseverance. Let's go to paragraph C, Jesus used this term, the gospel of the kingdom, and in it, we see the justice of God manifest in various spheres in accordance with this plan. Now, the Father has one master plan for all of the created order. From Genesis to Revelation, he has one master plan, but there are various spheres that are emphasized, and the the gospel of the kingdom is the proclamation that causes those spheres to come into contact with the righteousness of God and the person of God and the holiness of God. It's the proclamation into those spheres and it's God's justice that changes those different spheres, those different areas, so that they come into agreement with God's ways and God's will. Uh, Psalm 89, I have it on the back page, says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. So God begins his rulership and his kingdom, which is his throne, depicted in his throne, he begins by establishing and enacting justice, which are his judgments, in order to produce righteousness in that particular area. So let's look at this number one. What happens when the gospel of the kingdom touches us in a personal way? It's that God releases his justice through the cross in order to produce a righteous condition in our heart. So it's his judgments that produce the environment of righteousness. So when the gospel of the kingdom touches our personal life, what happens is that we experience the new birth. We receive salvation. We become justified, okay, that word justice. We become justified in accordance with God's law because Jesus' righteousness, God's righteousness, is imparted to us. So God's justice that he releases on Christ, his judgment at the cross, produces righteousness in the heart of those that believe on the name of Jesus Christ. So what do we receive? We receive the righteousness of God. Paul tells us you've become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's something that you become. It's not something that you've, you've chosen to become. It's not something that you've worked for. It's something that God did to you through his justice. He caused you through the cross to become the righteousness of God. Secondly, the gospel of the kingdom comes to the family of God, the church, and the Lord sets in place leadership in his church in order to release more of his justice and his righteousness. The body of Christ, the leadership that's in the body of Christ, pastors, teachers, the New Testament leadership 
is to make decisions and to lead in ways that produce an environment of righteousness or rather that which agrees with the heart and the ways of God. So when there's teaching or when there are ideas that are in opposition to the word of God, when there's behavior that's happening in opposition to the word of God, the Lord has established leadership in his spiritual family of which he is the head in order to, through delegation, to bring people into a deeper commitment to holiness and righteousness and the ways of God. Number three, the gospel of the kingdom, it impacts society. Because not only are believers interacting with other believers, believers are interacting with unbelievers. And the gospel comes to bear in society. Why? Because God has sent you as salt and light and a city on the hill to the sphere of your influence. And you say, what is the sphere of my influence? The sphere of in your influence is whatever sphere you primarily find yourself in right now today. If you work at Home Depot and you attend a friendship group and you got two kids at home, that is your sphere of influence. If you are on a school board in your city and you're voting on different things and decisions that are being made, that's part of your sphere of influence. And what are you supposed to do there? Micah 6, 8 says that you're supposed to do justly. You're supposed to do what is right and just in the eyes of God in your sphere of influence. If you're an author, if you're a musician, if you're a business leader, a small business owner, in your sphere, in terms of your activity, the people that you interact with, the resources that you have at your disposal, the influence that you have, you're to promote kingdom values and God's righteous ways in all of those spheres. And there's a dynamic impact upon society, particularly when leaders in society, in neighborhoods, school boards, political arena, the business sector, when they become disciples of Jesus, they seek to lead in a way that agrees with kingdom values. So they do money differently. They don't gossip and slander. They serve without the expectation of being repaid. They lend money. They're generous. They're kind. They're humble. They're not overly ambitious and trying to claw their way past people. And so as the kingdom of God expands in society, unbelievers are coming into contact with these people and they're asking the question, why are you so different? What is going on here? See, and in 1 Peter 2, it's so that as you proclaim, as you live the excellencies of God in your sphere on your social media, in your writing, in, your, in all these different areas, that unbelievers would see your good works, it says, and that they would glorify God in the day of visitation. That there would be something that would provoke them because of who you are and because of your sphere of influence. So the gospel of the kingdom affects society dynamically, and it should. It absolutely should. Let's go to number four. The gospel of the kingdom also is the release or the demonstration of supernatural power. So as believers, we're not just equipped with understanding of theology or doctrine and Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life, but we're actually empowered by the Holy Spirit to release God's justice through the working of signs, wonders, and miracles through the gifts of the Spirit. We pray for the person whose liver is damaged and the Lord touches them supernaturally. He's bringing justice to the person that is afflicted and oppressed by sickness or by demonic oppression by the evil one. And we partner with God's justice by releasing his purposes through signs, wonders, and miracles. It's not us that does it, it's God that does it. 
And I just want to tell us just on a very practical point, the pressure is not on us to heal anyone. And the pressure is not on us to lead anyone to Jesus. God is the one that does that. Our part is to show up and to be a witness and do it. We open our mouth. We talk about who Christ is and what he's done in our life and what this means. But it's God that touches their heart with a spirit of conviction that begins to draw them to the family of heaven. The same thing is true with healing the sick. We don't heal the sick. God heals the sick. And so when you're praying for someone that's sick, the pressure isn't on you to heal them. When you put the pressure on you, that's called the fear of man because you want them to be 100% healed so that they tell everyone when you prayed for them they, that you healed them. <laughs> but it doesn't work like that. We pray for the sick out of obedience because the Lord told us to. And sometimes they are touched and get healed. Sometimes it's immediate. That's called a miracle. Sometimes it happens progressively. That's called healing. But the pressure isn't on us. We just pray for the person. And in this, the kingdom of heaven is being expanded and it's being testified to, and it's another element of the gospel. Number five is Christ's return to rule. There's a day where all of the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. All of them. However many 200 nations there are, and I don't know how he you know, divvies up the boundary lines when he gets back. There might be more, there might be less. They will all be his. He will be, you've heard the phrase before, it's from Revelation 19, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So his kingdom has begun small. And Jesus says in the New Testament, he says the kingdom of heaven is within you. It begins small within you, but all of history is moving towards the revelation of the manifestation of his kingdom across the whole earth and the created order. He's gonna come as a king and every other kingdom, every other leader will be subject to his leadership and his ways and his laws, and it will be very good, by the way. Paragraph D, Jesus connected the timing of the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom to all the nations, and I think these five things, and there's probably more, I'm not claiming that this is all of them, there are elements to the gospel of the kingdom that must go forth to all these different ethnic groups across the earth. It cannot be limited to salvation through, by faith through repentance. It, it can't be limited to that. There is so much more in the New Testament and, and in the Old Testament in terms of the narrative of the kingdom of God that's on a collision course with the planet that is far more than just pray this prayer after me and now you're saved and hopefully you can find a local church. There's so much more going on to this. And I think that what I said at the beginning, I think that the Lord is awakening preachers, messengers, and by the way, to be a preacher or messenger, you don't have to be in full-time ministry. The vast majority of messengers and preachers throughout history were not in full-time ministry. Preachers and messengers are those that open their mouth, that write, that sing, that Whatever, they're calling attention to this gospel of the kingdom and they're doing it through many, many different ways. Central to this message, I already mentioned this, is that a king is uh, coming to openly exert his rule. Now this message is gonna have two effects, particularly in the last generation. It's gonna produce the greatest awakening. There's gonna be a worldwide revival like we've never seen throughout all of church history. And it's also going to produce the greatest hardening towards God that we've ever seen in human history. Because what happened to Pharaoh and the Egyptians when God was delivering his people out of captivity and he was releasing his manifest judgments? What was happening? There were two things that were happening. One, people were being, they were paying attention 
to Yahweh. They were going, this, this guy's for real. What's his name again? Oh yeah, the I am. They're really paying attention to this guy, meaning God. And the Egyptians, like Pharaoh, as the judgments are being poured out, their heart is becoming more and more hardened. They are hating God. And the reason that I mention that is because as the Lord raises up these messengers, these messengers need to die to a very important sentiment or a very notable sentiment that I think we see in the prevailing culture. And it's this, that if people really saw Jesus for who he is, that they would accept him and fall down and worship him. It's like they just don't get it. <clears throat> and then we go, well, why don't they get it? Well, they don't get it because Christians are so messed up. And that is true. Like, we're not doing great. But we're not the ultimate reason why people are rejecting God. And here's how we know that. Well, there's a bunch of different examples, but when Jesus came to the earth, he was God in the flesh. He committed no sin. He did not do one evil thing, not one time. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He preached the kingdom of God. He told them about the heavenly father. I mean, he released miracles, innumerable miracles. The lepers are being cleansed. Blind eyes are being opened. Do you know how humanity responded to him when they saw Jesus as he really was? They murdered him. John 3 tells us that light has come into the darkness, but guess what? Men loved the darkness. John 3, 19. That's what they love. That's what humanity loves. Humanity loves darkness. They do not love God. They love darkness. And it's by the mercy and the grace of God alone that the heart is awakened to go, you know what? I'm going to put my faith and my trust in you. But the vast majority, they are not going to receive Jesus when they see him as he really is. They will hate him. They already do hate him. Their excuse <clears throat> right now is that there's been so many abuses in the church and through church leadership and throughout church history that they could just write God off. But that's, that excuse doesn't really work at the judgment seat because their ultimate issue isn't with Christians, it's with Christ in his way and their unyielding desire to just resist him and to push away his grace and his mercy and his power because they don't want to be under his authority. Not really. People don't want to really be, in, in just in the most carnal, natural sense, they don't really want to give account and answer to anyone. That's, that's bad. That's why people don't like the message of the justice of God, the judgment seat of God, and all that. We like the overly sentimentalized Christianity. Jesus is filled with love and compassion and he's just here to just show the world love. Beloved, he showed the world love. They hung him on a cross. What do you think they're gonna do to you when you show them divine love anointed by the Holy Spirit? Some will repent. Some will respond inevitably. That's already happening. But many, they will be enraged because right now, the unbelievers, they are not threatened by the Western Christian. We're not, our anointing and our ministry isn't really messing with their sexuality. It's not really messing with their money. It's not really messing with their power and influence. Not really. Not like it was in the book of Acts. But there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's coming upon the whole church, including the West, including America, praise God, and it is going to dynamically change the game. It is going to create so much strife and glory and hardship and amazing things and breakthrough. People are going to get saved. We're like, I never thought that person was going to come to the faith. That's what happens in the book of Acts. Prominent people, priests, etc. They were coming to the faith in Jesus when the early church operated under that apostolic power. 
Jesus prophesied that the end would come when this gospel of the kingdom goes forth to all the nations. And I think the end he's speaking of, it's, it's the present age, and it's the age under the Genesis 3 curse. I'm about done with that thing. I don't know about you guys. I'm tired of this thing. I mean, I've never had the childbirth thing, but that is really bad for the ladies, the painted childbirth. The toil, the sweat, just the brokenness, the fragmentation of our own emotional lives and the pain of relationships and sorrow, the injustice of sin and darkness and immorality and human trafficking and wars and disease and on and on and on. Like I'm, I don't know about you, I'm ready for this stuff to be done with. And there is one that has been appointed by the Father. He appointed him before the earth was ever created. He said, you are going to be my one to bring forth justice and to break the power of the serpent and to undo the effects of the curse. I mean, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. And then he's gonna take the redeemed family of God and he's gonna go take us back into the Father's dwelling place, the Garden of Eden, and he's gonna have the anointing to cleanse us because of the cross to pass by the cherubim and that flaming sword and dwell with the Father face to face forever. The Father has a plan to bring about justice through his kingdom, we have a part to play in the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. It's a small part, but it's an important part. He's gonna release the anointing. He's gonna release the power. He's gonna make things grow. He's gonna perfect the body of Christ in love, but we have a part to play. The kingdom was the primary theme of Jesus' teaching. Look at this in Luke 4, verse 43. He said, I must... I must preach the kingdom of God because for this purpose I have been sent. Jesus is the ultimate apostle, prophet, forerunner, teacher. He is the one that is instructing the earth in the purposes that are in his father's heart. And he says, I'm going to show you the way of my father and I'm going to get you ready to dwell with him in the new Eden called the new Jerusalem for all of eternity. Don't find yourself in opposition to my father. I will give you every chance to repent, to turn to me, to humble yourself, to receive my forgiveness and be a part of my family forever. I will give you every chance to do that, but you must do it. You must do it my way because there's only one law that will rule the created order. Now look at this down at the bottom, paragraph G. It wasn't just Jesus that preached this, it was also the apostles. And they preached one continuous theme in the Father's plan, the divine program of God. It's the hidden plan that the Father has. They preached one theme. In other words, they didn't separate out forgiveness of sins and being born again and the coming of the king to destroy his enemies and establish his kingdom forever. They didn't separate those two. It was one continuous thing. Look at this in Acts chapter three. It's over on page two. You can turn there. So Peter stands up. This is his second message recorded in the book of Acts. Peter stands up and he begins to preach and he says, the things which God previously announced by the mouth of his prophets. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Father's plan that has been unfolding since the beginning of the earth. He says, all the prophets have spoken of this. What did they speak of? That his Christ, speaking of Jesus, that he would suffer, that he would be the lamb that would take away the sin of the world. That the blood of bulls and goats and the sacrificial system in the Old Testament was not enough to cleanse the conscience, but that God would make provision through his own servant who also happened to be the one who's gonna inherit the whole earth. He says that the Christ would suffer. He has fulfilled in this way. Look at verse 19. Therefore, so because the prophets talked about this, 
Because Christ has suffered, therefore repent and return. What is he talking about? He's meaning turn from your ways and your governance and turn to the governance and the ways of God. He's the creator. He's the one that set into motion this whole plan. Repent and return. Why? We love this, verse 19, so that your sins may be wiped away. Now that's mostly where we center when we preach the gospel, that your sins are wiped away, and that is important. But there's more here that Peter talks about because, again, he doesn't pause, take a break, and then start the breakout session for the return of Jesus later for the people that are really interested in the deep stuff. He doesn't do that. When your sins are wiped away, look at this. In order that times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord. Look at verse 20, and when your sins are wiped away, and that he would send Jesus Christ appointed for you. He's saying it all in one message. Guys, this is the gospel of the kingdom in one message. The prophets foretold it. The Christ suffered. He wiped away their sins so that he would send Jesus back for his people to rule the earth in righteousness, that he would send Jesus Christ, verse 21, whom heaven must receive until, okay, timing indicator, the period of the restoration of all things. When God would restore his intent for the human family at the coming of Christ. This is what Peter's talking about. Now his audience, Peter's audience is primarily Jewish. He's speaking of the gospel of the kingdom going all to the ends of the earth, all the way back to Jerusalem, to the Jewish people, and being proclaimed, Yeshua is the Messiah of the entire earth. And when the Jewish people in particular, like we Gentiles really got in on a great deal here, when the Jewish people in particular, when they see and recognize Jesus as Messiah, the Father is going to send Jesus to them, to Jerusalem, because that is what he has ordained in his divine program, in his holy plan. Look at this. Declaring another appointed king. Acts 17, the rulers of this city, they're in Philippi, they're freaking out, they're angry at Christians, they're angry at the church. And they say of them, they've turned the world upside down. And it's because of their preaching, it's because of their life, and it's because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit that's actually resting upon them. You need those three operating in order for unbelievers to get stirred up and say the church has turned the world upside down. Mostly they're not saying that, not right now. They're acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar. This is their accusation. Why? They're saying there is another king, Jesus. The church is anointed to proclaim the coming of another kingdom and of a greater king of whom everyone is going to be accountable to. That message is very offensive. You could go up to people and tell them all day long, hey, Jesus loves you and he's ready to forgive your sins. You could say that, that's true. That's not necessarily the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. That's a part of it but that is not the entirety of it. They do not care. Caesar does not care if you go to Caesar's throne, appear before him, and say, Jesus loves you, here's a tract, and uh, repent of your sins, and he'll forgive you and love you, and you'll go to heaven. He, that doesn't bother Caesar. What does bother Caesar is a movement of believers that are so humble that are so kind, that are so filled with compassion, they're laying down their lives voluntarily. We can't get them to worship our false gods. We can't get them to do that. They're only talking about Jesus as the only Lord, the only one true God. And they have supernatural power. And when they pray for the sick, they're being healed. So more people are being convinced. Then they're talking about this resurrected Jewish guy named Yeshua, and there's like 500 of them that saw him as eyewitnesses to the resurrection. We're trying to get them to all be quiet. They won't be quiet about this. And what it's doing is it's challenging our power base. 
Because our power base runs on immorality. Our power base runs on idolatry. Our power base runs on extortion. Our power base runs on the oppression of the poor and the widow and the orphan. We take advantage of them because we can, because we're in power. And now the, all these people of the way, that's what they were called, they weren't called Christians, of the way, they're talking about the only true way they have power and people in droves are following them and listening to them. They do pay their taxes on time. So we'll give them that. Like, that's not bad. In the book of Acts, I'm gonna wrap this up and we'll have the worship team go, come out. In the book of Acts, when they preached the gospel of the kingdom, not one time will you find the phrase, Jesus loves you. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't love people or that we shouldn't talk about that. Obviously, the word of God is filled with references to the profound demonstration of the love of God towards weak and evil people like us. The scripture is filled with that. But I was listening to David Pawson and he pointed this out the first time I'd ever heard it. In the book of Acts, with all the messages, all the preaching, Peter, Paul, etc., not one time do you find the word love. Not one time. And I'm wondering if, in terms of the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom, if we're missing something in our witness and in our testimony. I'm not saying throw love out the window. But I am saying that there is a manifold plan that God has related to the gospel of the kingdom and his kingdom coming to bear upon the kingdoms of the earth that includes some more details that human sentiment is okay with kind of brushing to the side. The judgment seat of Christ is real. God's holy law is real. Individually, corporately, there's only one set of standards that our whole life is measured and weighed under, and it's God's. It's his righteous law. It doesn't matter if I don't understand it, doesn't matter if I disagree with it, doesn't matter if I resist it, if I try and find excuses, well, nobody told me, and well, that would just sounded too, none of that works at the judgment seat of Christ. There are no excuses. And he's gonna, he is appointed, the Father has appointed a day, look at this, Acts 17, 31, here at the bottom, he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man that he has ordained. He's gonna judge the whole world. That's part of the gospel of the kingdom. That's really good news for believers. That's really bad news for everybody else. That's why it's good news. It's because we go, that's our beloved. That's our king. That's the one we serve. He's coming back. He's gonna make all the wrong things right. He's gonna eradicate evil. He's gonna eradicate injustice. He's gonna crush the head of the serpent. He's gonna heal bodies. He's gonna cleanse the earth. Creation that is groaning under the weight of sin is going to be transformed and filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That's where this thing is going. And the Father's gonna live here on the earth. And we're gonna see him face to face. And you're gonna have no sin, no shame, no pain in your body, no tears of sorrow and grief and despair, no depression and no anxiety. And the Father has a plan to bring you into his joy and his glorious fellowship forever. Let's stand as we end here. I'm gonna say this and then uh, invite Lenny to come up and share. The Lord is anointing many of you to grow in understanding of the gospel of the kingdom. I am growing massively in my understanding of this and to speak it more in the days ahead and to not back down and to not apologize that this is who God is. And here's two things that we don't have to apologize for. Scripture says that man is evil, their heart is evil. If you don't believe that, just ask these police officers over here. People are evil and they devise evil things. That's point one. They're not just broken. They don't just need a little rehab, a little makeover, a little touch up, slick the hair back and you're good to go. That, that's not good enough. 
They need to be born again. The human heart does. My heart, your heart. And the second thing is God is a righteous judge and we don't have to shy away from that. That is our glory. That is our vindication. That is, that is the vindication of all the poor and the oppressed and those that call upon the name. That is their vindication. God will bring an end to injustice and evil. Amen. Lenny. Good word. Well, <laughs> like I said in the beginning of the service, in the announcements, we have the privilege today, to my right, your left, standing over on the side of our auditorium, our Grandview police officers and their command staff. Come on. Come on, thank you. Thank you. We want to thank you from the bottom of our heart. Yeah. We want to thank you from the bottom of our heart. We want to let you know today that you have an army of intercessors around you. Nah, keep cheering for them. This is it's a big day. All over the America today, faith organizations and the church and law enforcement, they're coming together to appreciate and to say thanks. Micah 6.8 talks about show us what is good to love mercy, do justly, and to walk humbly. Isaac and I, on behalf of our leadership team, many of our team members are out of town. We want to say a prayer, a blessing over you guys. I know everybody isn't here, but we want to say a prayer, a blessing over the entire police department, law enforcement, our first responders today. And we want to thank you. And this is just our way of saying thanks to you. You are amazing. There's not another group of men and women that I would want to walk with and go to war with than you. And we just want you to feel from the church today. We have various pastors in this room. Other churches are going to make their way over here. We're going to have some barbecue out there. Come by. You guys already know the drill. We already set it up. But Isaac's going to pray a blessing. I'm going to pray a blessing over you. Father, we ask that you would bless these men and women that serve our community with such diligence and excellence, the way they put their lives, their safety on the line, the way that they bear the emotional burden of so much of the evil that happens in this city. We ask you, Lord, for grace to touch them, that the light of your countenance would shine upon them that you would lift up, Lord, your countenance upon them and that you would give them peace, peace upon their families, peace as they sleep at night, peace in the hardest days of their lives and peace in the easier days, Lord. We ask you, Lord, for strength for them and for wisdom. We ask for justice and equity to go forth in this city in a greater measure. We bless them today in Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in to Sunday Sermon. For more information, service times, and free teaching resources, visit forerunnerchurch.com.